When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I prefer really not to, not to speak. If I speak, I am in, in big trouble. In big trouble. And I don't want to be in big trouble. Hi, I'm Rachel Hansen. And I'm Natish Pawa. You're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. Natish, hello. Thank you for joining me today, despite our, you know, various <laughs> issues with tech. Oh my goodness, it's it's been wild setting this up, y'all. But Rachel, hi. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to do this. Oh, I know I say this all the time, but I'm genuinely so excited that you're here today. Like, you're currently a staff writer here at Slate, but what no one in the audience knows is that we came up at the same time at this company as absolute babies. I think we started within months of each other, so we we have been through some real shit, wouldn't you say? Oh, I agree. And when I look back at those times, it's it's crazy how far we've come, but also I love it for both of us. Same, same. Which mm-hmm. only makes us collab even better. We're the true influencers of Slate. Like, who else works here? I don't know. Yeah. No 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 one even talks about it, but it's true. It's so true. <laughs> yeah. This is not your first ICYMI Rodeo. You were previously on an episode with our senior supervising producer, Daisy Rosario. But this is importantly your first rodeo with me, which means that I have a few very important questions for you. The first, what is your very first internet memory? I feel like we may have talked about this just in random chatter, but also maybe not. Maybe I made that up. <laughs> Man, I was a big fan of Flash games back in the day. Oh, you yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about kids TV before this. I, I'd go to like those network websites, Nick Cartoon mm-hmm. Network, whatnot. Yeah, I just play those games after they, you know, finally loaded. I, I really don't think kids today understand how blessed they are to not have to deal with those loading bars or with the dial tones. And those were already better than the previous internet generation had. <laughs> That is that is very true. I mean, they don't understand how blessed they are, but they also don't know the joy of like the six two five sandwich stacker game on Disney. Right, Channel, you know. Yeah. Uh, when I heard Flash that, that they were removing it from Chrome and such, I was so sad. Same. Even though it was like a giant security risk. Oh yeah, no, it was horrible. But <laughs> <laughs> very fond memories. But it was fun, and that's what matters. Exactly. Well, I could talk about Flash games forever, but unfortunately, we do have actual work to do at this company that employs us. So my very last question for right now is, who the fuck is the menswear guy? (laughs) I (laughs) feel like 
I logged onto Twitter one day and was greeted with dozens of tweets like, Twitter really wants me to follow the menswear guy. And why is the menswear guy all over my timeline? And I have never been more convinced of the power of algorithms than at that moment because I don't know who this man is. I would not recognize him if he was walking down the street towards me. Who is he? So his real name is Derek Guy, as in Guy. As in a dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he really is the menswear guy? <laughs> yeah, you, you could definitely say that. And I mean, there's not a ton that's really known about him. Like, he said up top he wasn't going to say any other personal details, which, fair, I definitely respect, especially when you're a main character. But on Twitter, you may have noticed when he did finally see this man's account, his avatar is not of his face, but... It's an illustration of Elliot Richardson, the Nixon administration official who resigned when Nixon wanted him to do something unlawful, which then, of course, led to eventually the Watergate investigation and Nixon's impeachment. I don't know if I would have recognized that man off the top of my head, but mm-hmm, yes. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I did not either. And okay. I, I just asked him in our interview, like, yeah, wait, who is that guy? And he was like, well... <laughs> I, I'm Let ready me to tell, tell you. you. And yeah, and it's not even like he he like loves Elliot Richardson's jurisprudence or anything like that. It was that in all the photos of him, especially when compared with other politicians of that era, he was just a really smartly dressed dude. But yeah, only thing we really know about this guy is he's been doing menswear commentary and blogging for decades now honestly and he has his own blog die workwear which he started in 2010 which gained him a little bit of fame among the menswear world and he's also contributed to other publications big newspapers writing about fashion Mm. but yeah he comes from the blog era of fashion when talking about menswear and such was a little more democratized from like the old art magazines or fashion magazines And so he's been in that space forever, even as it's kind of declined, obviously, as blogs declined, as social media has cannibalized many things. Now, as for his main character status, um, (laughs) it's really interesting. He doesn't really know. And I've actually since spoken with a few other people who also found their accounts magnified by Twitter's algorithm randomly, especially in the moments after Elon Musk took over Twitter and changed a lot of things. And they, a lot of them said the same thing. Like, yeah, we just get pushed out here. We tend to be a lot of fashion people for some reason. And we just noticed when people started replying to us whom we like didn't know who they were, even though we already kind of had our own inbuilt communities. But um, it is super interesting to hear his perspective like on that sort of thing like he he talked about like look yeah all i do is i tweet about fashion now it occasionally make political jokes but now you know i have this bigger audience and they seem to get mad about literally everything which when he was telling me that i was like oh man welcome to my world friend <laughs> <laughs> welcome yeah, to twitter was, Right, exactly. It it was just like all these people who were in his mentions who weren't even necessarily interested in fashion 
or who just come upon him in their timeline, they're like, who are you? Like, why are you here? And this guy's like, what, what, what do you, what do you want from me then? But when I spoke with him, he seemed very thoughtful about like how he's engaging going forward and how he deals with, you know, increased vitriol from all these random people and making the best of an increased presence. And He's one of those people who is so clearly passionate and knowledgeable about his field, which I'm not super familiar with. So <laughs> I could just yeah. listen to him talk for hours. Like he, he was just such a genuine person. So if you're listening and you haven't seen or read Menswear Guy, I highly <laughs> recommend you check him out. He's he's the best. What an unexpected twist to Twitter's main character. Usually it's like a bean dad or Right, you know, Elon Musk doing something terrible, but it's just this guy who loves fashion. It is really funny thinking about what happens when a person gets kind of ensnared in the algorithm and now has to contend with an audience that they never really asked for, who didn't right. ask for them either. Right. It it makes me sad in a way because yeah. like you just got pushed into this situation. You had no idea that was going to happen to you and now you're dealing with not only all these uh people in your mentions but all these journalists trying to call you and ask you why you're all of a sudden in their feeds like that that really sounds like it, it, it's a classic thing where the more engagement you get on twitter the worse your mm-hmm. experience is like yeah. endless notifications and replies and people literally saying whatever, making stuff up about you, and you're just sitting there at your computer, at your phone, like, okay, um, I I don't know what to do. <laughs> I genuinely I don't know what to do. I didn't ask for this. I just wanted to tweet about menswear. <laughs> right. And I am happy for him in one instance that, you know, a lot of people have said since Elon took over Twitter, their feeds have gotten a lot worse. He says his feed has not been that bad, But he's also made a very conscious choice in what he decides to tweet about, again, with this bigger audience. So, again, he's avoiding, like, what he calls political tweets so that he doesn't get recommended, like, a bunch of right-wingers bring about censorship or engagement and whatnot. And, again, he seems to be a very savvy dude. Wow. Honestly, shout out to you, Derek Guy. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually kind of the perfect segue into our next topic, which is a phrase that I say all the time, but it's because it's always true. Something I found myself saying a lot recently is that no two people's internet looks the same, especially as we are talking about social media platforms become more and more algorithmicized, which happens so that ads can be more effectively targeted towards people. And what this means is that even as I try to get outside of my own algorithms, I still miss a lot, which some might say is ironic given the name of the show. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But luckily, I have very smart friends and colleagues like Natish who can help me out explaining shit like the menswear guy and also chess. There is truly nothing I love more than hearing about a subculture that I did not know existed because that's the best part of the internet. So after a short break, Natish will be explaining chess to me, specifically a scandal that rocked the online chess world. 
Oh boy. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. And we're back with Natish. I was very specifically instructed by my colleagues here on the show to not look up anything involving the scandal you're about to explain to me. (laughs) So when I tell you I have literally zero idea what's going on, I mean it. Tish, what's happening? Please, my crops are dying. I need to know. Oh, man. The good news is this scandal truly is the gift that keeps on giving. And there are still new developments like every few weeks. It is it, it is a blessing. But <laughs> I mean, I mean, for for me as an observer, not, not for the people <laughs> involved. But <laughs> yeah, it, there is so much to it. So I'm going to try to break it down into pretty basic blocks. OK, thank you. It all started a few months ago when there was this chess tournament called the Sankfield Cup going on in St. Louis, which is probably the most important chess tournament in North America. And at that tournament, the world number one champion as of now, Magnus Carlsen, was set to compete as a wildcard player against uh, various other chess greats and grandmasters who were going to show up there. And many of these people had also come from other various tournaments they'd played throughout the year. So, tournament kicks off. Stuff uh, is going okay for a couple days. And then, Magnus, out of nowhere, announces that he's withdrawing from the tournament, does not give an explanation outside of um, tweeting a video of a European soccer coach who basically says... Um, if I say anything, I'll be in big trouble, and I don't want to be in big trouble. So that was it. it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that seems mysterious. So at this point, people, how's the vibe on, like, people like him? We're, we're a fan of Magnus. The general feeling is positive. He is, like, probably the single most dominant player we have right now. Like, he's definitely his generation's Kasparov. Like, that one transcendent player that everyone really knows like he just has like this 
all around uh, global presence and recognizability that is not often there for a lot of chess players. So, and he's like a very mischievous guy, but and and pretty cocky. But uh, he he definitely commands a lot of respect because I mean he is very good at his game. So his withdrawal from the tournament happened after he'd been actually beaten in one of his games by this guy named Hans Munkniemann, who's a 19-year-old grandmaster, way, way lower ranked in like the overall like chess global rankings than Magnus is. And just not the type of player either that most people would think of as being a contender against Magnus. Like there are other big all-time top-ranked players who have beaten him. This guy was not really considered to be on that tier. So the fact that he uh, Neiman had beat Carlson and the fact that Carlson had withdrawn as he did just out of nowhere sparked a lot of uh, discussion. Like, what's going on here? And so then you hear from this other grandmaster, Hikaru Nakamura, who's very famous for his uh, Twitch live streams of various games. And he did his own analysis of the game from afar and basically came to the conclusion that Neiman was cheating somehow. And without any explanation as to why, but he was just like, there, there, there's no way that he could have known how to like, you know, parry this exact move or pull off this exact stun he did to throw Magnus off. And Neiman was very defiant against such accusations. Obviously, he, you know, spoke publicly at Sherman, like, look, you know, to accuse me of cheating in this is ridiculous. This is an over-the-board classical chess game. He did admit, though, that when he was coming up through the chess.com app's uh, own player tournaments, he admitted in the Sankfield Cup that on two of those games, when he was you know on the up and up, he had indeed cheated, but that there was still no basis to have accused him of having cheated here, especially in this tournament. Why would he admit to cheating in the past? <laughs> well, I'll get to that later. I ha- I have oh. a theory <laughs> as to why, but ooh, so yeah. And the thing is. As I mentioned earlier, Magnus is such a singular player, such a respected player in the chess world that when all this started coming out, they ramped up security at the Sankfield Cup. Like they started patting down people, including Neiman himself. Like they very aggressively went after him before his next match. And it definitely became a talking point, even though no one really knew like what would have happened. They launched an investigation, which, as far as I know, has either become inconclusive or just still ongoing in certain aspects. Now, we go from here to what else but chess.com, the world's number one chess app, coming out with a statement about how Neiman had cheated way more often when coming up in chess.com than he had admitted, and in fact had been previously banned from the app for his cheating. What? But again, 
they made sure to clarify that this only applied to digital online chess and they had no clue about how he would have cheated on a physical over the board game. What? So, <laughs> and then the conspiracy started to get really crazy because there have been cheating scandals in past chess tournaments and people have tried all sorts of really weird shit to basically up their advantage. There was a tournament a few years ago where some Indian player had like strapped some cell phones to his legs under his pants so that he could get like vibrations from afar telling him like what direction he was going, uh, he should be going essentially. So like Morse code through his leg? Basically, yeah. (laughs) So... Wait, wait, sorry. Can I, can I, we will continue, but I have one question that yeah. just before we do. So I just, I have, I don't understand how to play chess. I just mm-hmm. want to get that out of the way. I can't play chess. How does one cheat at chess? Like, what are the mechanics for cheating at chess? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. So there are different <laughs> means uh, when it comes to physical play versus digital play. So in online play, The most commonly used cheating measure is what they call engines. So basically these uh, computerized programs that allow you to run through all sorts of probabilities on a chessboard and states of play and figure out the exact best move to make. And it was this method that Neiman had often used uh, when coming up through chess.com. Now... For physical play, obviously, it's a little trickier because it ostensibly is just you, another person, and your pieces at hand. But in the past, at various tournaments, people have accused other players of trying to basically get outside counsel or if there's a friend observing the tournament who's like running his own engine on a simulation of the current game he could maybe pass on that advice to the player if they, say, take a bathroom break and decide to check their phone during that time. Or, yes, as I mentioned earlier, doing the little Morse code thing, which is a little too inefficient, I think, to really work well. But, I mean, people are creative. I'll, I'll give them that. You're like, I have thoughts on your cheating methods, but I'll digress. (laughs) And the reason I bring up the phone's Morse code thing is that this also now plays into the scandal. So Neiman did not have phones on him or anything like that. But someone online, just like a random Redditor, had made this joke on like the chess forums where he was accusing... Magnus Carlsen of having used anal beads in the past, specifically electronic anal beads, to get those sorts of Morse code-esque signals through his ass. And so this Redditor suggested that in this case, the tables had been turned and Neiman was the one using the anal beads against Carlsen. And that's how he was able to beat him here. Now, This clearly was a joke that was not meant to spread outside r slash chess. But, of course, people took screenshots and copied and pasted it, and it spread. 
and you ended up getting who else but Elon Musk even uh, no! promulgating this theory publicly. <laughs> he later deleted all the tweets that he had related to this, but oh yeah, a- another classic example of uh, Elon Musk buying into some conspiracy over something he knows clearly very little about. Unfortunately, he's obviously a very influential man, and so a lot of people picked up on that theory, and Neiman himself was forced to address it to the point where he told everybody that he would play naked in order to prove that he was not using electronic sex toys to cheat. Tish. So Tish. we've we've gotten to this point where everyone's kind of lost the plot, you know. I just want to, because no, I need to communicate to the audience the, the different stages of grief. I just went through. <laughs> I went, my eyebrows rose up so far, and then my mouth dropped, and now my head's in my hand, and now I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm crying a little bit because I'm just so confused. <laughs> like, I'm so overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely the zaniest theory that was out there, and... For one, I don't believe it's true. I actually don't believe either that Neiman cheated in this particular game. Like other chess experts, historians, grandmasters like Kasparov have also analyzed the game and commented on it. And their reasoning is Magnus just had a worse than usual game and was unprepared for a certain counter from Neiman's end. It's not necessarily that Neiman had some tricky advanced knowledge or was able to read Carlson's mind or had a secret engine going on. Or had beads up his ass. Yeah. We've gotten to this point now where people run with all sorts of theories about Neiman and speculation. Neiman ended up uh, suing both uh, Carlson and uh, Nakamura, the um, grandmaster I mentioned earlier, for defamation over this whole ordeal. He was once again banned from chess.com, RIP. And later, the Wall Street Journal ended up getting an internal report that chess.com had prepared about cheating on its platform, which includes Neiman cheating on over 100 games throughout the course of his digital training career. And so the whole thing is basically Neiman's not a good or legit guy, but he probably didn't cheat here. But because there is that reputation, especially known among other chess stalwarts, everyone jumped to that conclusion, especially when it came to Magnus, because again, singular titanic figure in this field, no one thought that he would just walk off from a game for no good reason. But Maybe he did. I tried getting back in touch with him after it. It didn't work out. But I I think it's probably legally wise to stay silent now, of course. So that's where we're at with the whole situation as it stands. Lawsuits ongoing, more investigations happening, chess governing bodies trying to figure out just what to do with someone who clearly committed a lot of offenses in the past but may not be guilty of the specific thing he's being accused of now. And thankfully, 
the anal beads theory has somewhat subsided. I don't think we're going to get a naked match. Thank goodness. But <laughs> it, it it is still just like we have not had a chess scandal of this magnitude. I think since 2006, which was called Toilet Gate, which alluding to a cheating method what? I was referring to earlier, talking oh. about two grandmasters competing against each other for the world number one at the time, and one accusing the other of going to the bathroom too much during the match. <laughs> so what if he just has like, a weak bladder? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, the thing is, like, they're also like, well, okay, there's all the security, all these cameras around here everywhere, except in the bathroom. So this is a plot line in Oceans in Oceans Eight, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm honestly surprised there hasn't already been some sort of Hulu optioned uh, series on the whole thing. I mean, honestly, after the Queen's Gambit, they they should just do a docu series, right? Um, we're gonna take a quick break while we prepare our pitch for Netflix. When we get back, I will be asking Tish so many questions that I have. I have so many questions. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Hi, y'all. Hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening to ICYMI, then welcome. We are thrilled to have you here. We swear we don't normally talk this much about anal beads. In case you missed it, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays, so make sure you never miss an episode like this past Wednesdays where we had Slate's care and feeding columnist Jamila Lemieux on to talk about how the internet has changed parenting. You don't want to miss it. And we're back. So, I have questions. <laughs> um... So we don't know why Magnus Carlsen posted that video that was like, if I said anything, I'd be in trouble. It's just a mystery. 
I think it's assumed at this point that that was his way of strongly casting suspicion on Neiman for cheating because he did in a later interview before the lawsuit basically say out front that, yeah, I mean, Neiman, this guy has a history of cheating. Everyone knows it. And, you know, why, so why would you assume that anything from this guy is legit? And I I think that was the impetus for it. But obviously, it was already shocking enough to the chess world that he was withdrawing from the Sankfield Cup to begin with. So I think he was maybe thinking he didn't want to rock anything more by coming out with a outright cheating accusation but that ended up being the effect anyway so um well i have one final question which is a question about chess.com which you previously mentioned um you recently wrote a piece about a a bot on (laughs) chess.com called mittens yes what's what's the deal with mittens so chess.com has done a lot of stuff with bots over its entire existence from very simple trained bots that people can play against on certain levels to improve their game as they go along. And in recent years, as um, use of the platform has exploded, thanks to things like the lockdown, the popularity of the Queen's Gambit, and obviously big scandals like this one, um... They've started doing a lot more custom bots on their site that players can um, try their best against. So one of the first really big examples of this was they made some bots uh, based on Beth Harmon from Queen's Gambit that were based on different age levels from her throughout the show, like from her beginning times when she's good but like still needs to learn a lot versus later on when she's like, the, the greatest chess player ever, basically. So you could play different iterations of Harmon and basically see, like, would you beat Beth at this age or this age or this age? Which was pretty cool, and it got a lot of press and was very popular, so they started doing more bots like that. They had a bot for Megan from the movie Megan, or m 3 if you will. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I will. And... <laughs> They, after the Megan bot, they came out with the series of five different cat bots. And they were all of varying skill levels as well. And they all had different names. The most, like, seemingly high-ranked and skilled one was named, like, wait for it, Katsparov. So it's it's Kasparov, but um, made feline which uh, I think was very clever. I have gone so long without hearing a pun on this show <laughs> in Madison's absence. And here, here you go, doing this to me. Oh, all right, keep going. So now you have Mittens, who is not given <laughs> uh-huh. a formal skill ranking like the other catbots are. Well, they are given a skill ranking. It's just one, which is literally nothing basically, but mm-hmm. I digress. Um, and Mittens is, you know, looks like a very, like, preening cat in a way, like big cute eyes. You know, you, you don't think this will be a crazy cat, but it turns out this cat is going to fuck you up. 
Like all these grandmasters, like Nakamura and others, were playing mittens and live streaming their matches and showing how they were just getting clobbered by this thing, and it it was driving them all like out of their minds. And there there kept being more like videos of grandmasters playing the mittens bot or like setting other bots against the mittens bot and. Again, just having the Mittens bot crush them all. And through that word of mouth, other people tried their hands at it. And they were like, oh, my God, this thing is so good and so fast and so ruthless. Like, <laughs> you know, there's some bots that are programmed to kind of go easy on you if you make a mistake mm. or an oversight or such. Yeah, definitely mm-hmm. not the case for Mittens. That Mittens <laughs> is just going to come right at you. So... Mint- yeah. Has no mercy. Right. Exactly. So, that 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 sort of just like huge blow up, um, like gained mittens a large level of internet notoriety. So, yeah, I spoke with um the head of the bot writing team at Chess.com basically, and they're always just looking for fun little creative things they can do to draw in players or like make things a little bit more challenging or or just like you know. Have fun, you know, like uh, all, all these things are not meant to be super serious, right? It's also like, look, we want everybody to be able to play. And if they feel comfortable playing against a cat bot, that's easier. Or like a cat bot that will absolutely tear them apart. Like <laughs> we'll, we'll give them those options. And it's also, I think, astonishing just because, yeah, computers have been beating humans at chess for a while now. Obviously, the deep blue... Kasparov match from the 90s is the most uh, famous example of this. But for just such an innocuous website bot, like not some big (laughs) supercomputer or whatever, like Mm -hmm. this this bot that probably does not have that much memory or like take up that much space or anything just to just know how to shame grandmasters out of playing basically like it is a pretty wild phenomenon and i give them all credit for taking that on have you played against bins the cat yes i i have a few times and it, it, it didn't go well i <laughs> I, I beat all the other cats e- even katsparov but <laughs> not not mittens M- mittens is a very very tough one I personally, as a non-chess player, just love the idea of some cat bot out there wrecking everybody's shit and taunting them at the same time. It really gives me a lot of joy. So I appreciate you telling me about this and ending this conversation on this note, because the beginning of this, again, made me cry. All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss an explanation of some drama in the chess world. I will definitely have Natish back to explain that to me if it happens again, because once again, I don't understand chess. (laughs) Please leave a rating and review in Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. Tell your chess grandmasters about us, unless they're cheating. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions. And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and Rachel Hampton. 
With special thanks to Sierra Spragley Ricks. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's vice president of audio. See you online or at a chess tournament. That is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so please subscribe. It is the best beast. <laughs> Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.